This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores ideas and themes in the social sciences and the humanities. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest of the week, Luman Lee. You're from University of Malaya, right? That's right. Yeah, can you just introduce yourself first before we start? Yeah. Um, I'm with the Visual Arts Program at the Cultural Centre, University of Malaya. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty new there, I think for the past three years, I think. Okay. Um, well, that's not that new. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you around the corridor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the water cooler fountain. So, <laughs> yeah. But thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe to start off with, can you tell us more about your research? Uh, what you've been working on for your PhD? I understand that you're an expert in television culture in Malaysia. Well, I wouldn't say expert. <laughs> but I mean, broadly, I focus on 80s and 90s Malay sitcoms mm-hmm. on television. Um, but more specifically, I look at um, Scenario from TV3 and I approach it as a platform where a specific kind of Malayness or the popular tropes about Malayness is performed and articulated on screen mm-hmm. and how that becomes a social meta script. Mm, okay. So can you just tell us, maybe give us a bit of context, what a Scenario is? When was it aired on television and uh, what kind of a sort of like comedy or is- Scenario is marketed as a sitcom, Malay sitcom, but it is more accurately a comedy sketch okay. because every episode is a standalone um, scenario or story. Uh, the characters don't recur in the conventional sense that sitcoms do, okay. although you see certain archetypes being uh, recurring across different seasons, different years. Mm-hmm. Um, it started in '96 with four episodes with seven core members, in the sitcom and the seven core members were actually finalists or participants in a talent show an annual talent show held by TV3 mm-hmm. and so because they, they uh, TV3 felt that they were so talented that they offered them a chance to come up with a sitcom of their own and they did so with four episodes in 96 mm-hmm. reception was pretty okay so they continued on and before we know it, it they've been running for I think the last season or the last episode ended in 2013. So it's 1996 to 2013. Okay. So uh, would it be accurate to compare maybe scenario to Saturday Night Live as an example? Or hmm. uh, I, 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 I'm trying to sort of like think of a parallel. Sort of, uh, I, think, I think Saturday Night Live, um, sometimes they have different, many different sketches within one episode. Okay. For scenario, it's basically just one story per episode. Oh, okay. Sometimes it's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, the curious kampung bamboo, which lasts, that's the only one that basically can fit into the, the, the whole conventional idea of a sitcom because it ran for 13 episodes. Okay. And it was basically more, more of a mystery sitcom. Consecutively. Uh, yeah, consecutively. Okay, right. So so that's why the whole series, 13 episodes, was called uh, Mystery Bamboo. Mm, yeah. Okay, interesting. So what's the popular appeal of Scenario then? Uh, why why do you think it has such a strong purchase amongst the Malaysian public, TV-watching TV public? I think that's a very complex question. I mm-hmm. think first we have to look at the demographic for TV3 and also who Scenario is intended for. Okay. And it's a very working-class kind of demographic. Mm. So... Because of that, scenario has very easy to understand jokes. Mm. Uh, the lingo that they use and the way they deliver those jokes and humor, mm-hmm. it's very, for lack of a better word, 
like how you would find in real life. Okay. Like if you if you were to go to a garage, a, a workshop, for example, mm. and the mechanics there would banter, right. and that's the kind of thing you would get. Okay. And you you see that also in scenario. Ah, uh, okay, um, okay. And okay. and also then the themes that they talk about, I think there is a certain appeal to that working class demographic. Okay, oh. is it fair to say that they provide a slice of life kind of like vibe to sitcoms? Hmm. <laughs> a very specific slice of that life, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the main draw is, of course, that it reaffirms certain ideas that the working class have of themselves and of the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think, as I understand it, I think that's the biggest appeal. Right, right. Mm. So as a historian, I'm going to try to look for historical parallels, <laughs> right, or examples. And I can think of like, you know, the 70s where RTM used to stage these things called uh, Pentas Rakyat. And they would have Borea troops, uh, you know, perform right. their sketches. And right. very often these sketches, are, uh, you know, features, I guess, um, two or three characters interacting and throwing at each other body sort of like jokes. Mm-hmm. And, and this would revolve around an everyday sort of like issue. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's a very similar yes, kind very of similar. Like, uh, yeah. format, uh, which I guess died down mm-hmm. by the 80s. So I, I'm very interested that there is a revival in the 90s. And I was wondering sort of like what's the context behind this revival? I think maybe it's because of the people behind the script. Okay. Like I said, the first four episodes was uh, largely conceptualized by the seven members of the group. Mm. And they weren't young um, individuals. I think the youngest was um, 19, but by and large, most of them were in the late 20s, maybe, okay. or early 30s. Um, they come from television? Uh, no, no, actually. They, 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 this was like, all of them were like uh, very brand new to television. Okay. I mean, I think Lan Pepet came all the way from um, Kedah, I think, yeah. Mm. And he took a bus all the way just for that talent show. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. So none, none of them were pros. They were not schooled at all or had any education in television or, you know. Mm. Uh, so I think it's because they grew up with the kind of performances that you mentioned, traditional okay. performances. And so when they had to come out with a script, they based it on that template that they knew, right? They drew right. from their experiences. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh. Was Gila Gila part of their sort of like reading culture? <laughs> Did it play a role in sort of like that kind of humor? Did I mean, that sort of surface in? Yeah, I mean, yeah. presumably Gila Gila is uh, quite a big influence. Okay. Uh, you would see similar kinds of, you would see parallels basically with whatever the content of all of scenario. And then, you know, I mean, I grew up reading Gila Gila as well. Okay. So when I think I mentioned somewhere in my um, thesis as well that, you know, there mm-hmm. was parallels to Gila Gila and then. Mm. Yeah, mm. there were other sitcoms during that era as well. Right? If I'm not mistaken, I mean, like if I, I were to name a few, there's Pima Pima Tang too, and then there's also like I mean Jang Heng Ketawa, something along those lines, right? But what 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 made you choose scenario? Is it because it's the most popular at the time? I think most popular is a term that is arguably applied to different different sitcoms, mm. right? Mm. Um, and and I think scenarios inception overlapped with Pima Pima Tang Tu's run. Uh, I think PMI Pimai Tangtu ended in 2004. So it started when PMI Pimai Tangtu was still running. Okay. Um, but as televisions go, they need a lot of content, so it doesn't matter, right? Mm. But I think Scenario had such huge popularity, but mm. the themes and the way it delivered those themes or communicated some ideas was not partial to um, and was quite, in my opinion, ethno specific. Mm. Uh, whereas PMI Pimai Tangtu was more about, you know, how do we all get along? Mm. And and you know, even if you look at Jang Ketawa, uh, it was actually quite transgressive. So it's it's all 
a bit more intellectual, I think, a bit more witty. Whereas scenario was just flat out um, body and risk humor, and you know, mm-hmm. really, it was clear from the get go that it was really for the working class. I think that was also primarily because the people who were the core team members. Uh, were themselves from the working class, mm. right? Okay. In saying that, you know, body humor and risque sort of like acting is uh, less intellectual. Are you also? I I don't believe that you're doing that. But uh, how how do you then sort of? What where do you sort of like see this? What do you understand of this working class culture in relation to maybe? which you think has a more intellectual bent to it. Uh, did it appeal to a very different sort of like uh, Malay community or a different sort of like public audience in sort of Malaysian television? I think, I think I, there is that question which I feel needs to be answered, which is um, are you then talking about whether television influences certain kinds of patterns within society, mm-hmm. thinking, right. or is it that the... The, the society, the demographic itself, um, themselves, actually Shaking. then motivate certain programs to be produced, mm. right? Um, I mean, if, if everything on television was like Pima Pima Tangtu, then whether you're working class or not, you'd still watch it, right? Because you don't have anything else to watch, right? right. right? And that's not to say Pima Pima Tangtu was not using lingo that was used by the working class. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a lot of Kedah slang and... I mm-hmm. think Utara slang. Yeah. yeah, Utara slang, right? So, yeah. I mean, at times I didn't even understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it was also very grassroots. Mm-hmm. But I think it approached it like, for lack of a better comparison, like how P. Ramli would approach making a social commentary on, right. in his films, right? right? And that appealed to everyone, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, P. Mai, P. Mai Tangtu was like that. Okay. Whereas scenario was just flat out, we're not going to really think too hard about things. Mm. And we're just going to you know, have, fun. have a sketch, comedy sketch and have fun. And, you know, and, and that was really it. And mm. I think that how simple that humor was mm. at some level connected with a lot of people because you didn't have to think about a lot of things, right? Mm. Was that also down to the fact that it tries to appeal to everyone in terms of uh, age demographic? Uh, because I remember watching Scenario, I mean, it came out in 1996, I was six at that time. So, and I remember it being funny to me too, as a six-year-old kid. So, um, was that partially the reason why? Whereas Pima Pahatan 2 was also a bit too... I didn't... At, at that time, it. Yeah, at that okay. time, I didn't really understand it. I know that it appeals to my class background, I guess, to a certain extent. But okay. it didn't appeal to me that much because I couldn't really understand it then. Right. Mm. Um, I'm not... Maybe it's an era thing. I mean, I was, I think, nine years old when I watched Pima Pima Tang Tu, or okay. maybe uh, um, younger. That mm. was, what, early 90s? Mm, or 80s. 80s. You started 80s. in the 80s, okay. Yeah, I think Pima Pima Tu started in 85. Okay. Yeah. And I, I watched those sitcoms mm-hmm. or comedy, and, and even though I didn't really understand all of it, yeah. um, it was a family experience, and we all watched it together. So, oh. yeah. So, I consumed it, right? But, but... Scenario, it is true what you say about scenario where it actually appealed, there's a broad appeal. So even children actually watch it. And I think one of the, the comments made about the films, the, the scenario films that came about uh, was that it was the children that dragged the parents to the cinema. And most of the box office uh, ticket sales were made because if you have one child going to the cinema, you're uh. going to have to drag at least one parent along. So uh. it's not just a single ticket sale, it's at least two or three. Right, mm. and that's only if you have one child. So, it actually, basically, was cashing in on that that broad appeal, and the children, mm. who were actually very who were fans, basically, 
So the family collective is really that uh, yeah. target audience, lah. I mean, uh, so I imagine it would be very different from say reading Mastika, right? Which also I think uh, gained <coughs> well changed the format in '95, if I'm not wrong, mm. and mm-hmm. became that whole Jolita Hantu kind of like uh, <laughs> a magazine until very recently. Yeah. And you know, sales just sort of like skyrocketed yeah. uh, since they sort of made that change, right, from the general affairs magazine into this. Yeah. Uh, paranormal sort of like uh, investigation yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. issue. So like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just sort of just fascinated that uh, it seemed like the 95, 96, there's this sort of like big push towards um, creating a mass culture or the opportunity seems right. It was then that this mass culture was able to <laughs> grow. Yeah. I have a question for the two of you. Um, well, I know Simon is from KL and not sure where you're from. Yeah, I'm from Johor Bahru. Okay, from Johor Bahru. Yeah, I'm from Laka. And I think Scenario appealed to me because I grew up in a different kind of environment, right? Slightly suburban, almost rural, like uh, in fact, rural, I guess. Uh, and so the appeal of scenario, I guess, was there for us to an extent because of our background. Um, what was it like? I mean, for 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 urbanites, then how do they react to scenario, and especially at the right. peak of its popularity? Um, you know, that was when uh, when was the peak of its popularity? Two thousand and three? No, no, no. Peak would. Uh, for scenario, it would probably be in 99. Mm. Okay. 99, 2000, yeah. Uh, right, I was in from 4, from 5, and now I was using the internet, so <laughs> I stopped watching television. So the last thing I remember watching was actually Jang Akhtawa. Mm. And after that, I stopped watching TV. <laughs> because the internet came along. Yeah, for where about you? In, in 99, I was really working for a few years. Uh. So um, I did not watch scenario anymore then. Um, so I can't answer that question in within that time frame. But I wouldn't consider Johor Bahru really very urban by today's standard in the 80s or the early 90s. Okay. I mean, probably comparatively to other, like Malacca maybe, I don't know. Um, you can consider it as urban. But um, I don't think that the main attraction was that uh, for scenario or Pimang was that it, it, it wasn't that it featured a lifestyle that was very different from the one I was leading. Because I also watched uh, Duo Champu Satu. Okay. And Duo Champu Satu happened in like uh, a, quite an urban setting. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the time, you, it's inside uh, an apartment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it is by all, uh, what do you call it? I think it's it's quite urban. Okay. Uh, but, and then I think like Jang Ketawa also, I think their set, the location sometimes is not just always um, a rural area, mm-hmm. right? So I think it was more that we didn't really have much to watch then. Okay. <laughs> right? Um, like, if you wanted comedy, then, you know, on Malaysian television, that was it, right? Right, right And right. we only had two channels, right? right? RTM1 and RTM2, that was it. Right. And then uh, later on, you have TV3. But at the time when TV3 launched, um, we really couldn't get TV3. I like oh. remember having to hold the, the antenna up with my hand. From JB. From JB. No, oh. because you needed to have, like, some new TV set or okay. a, a different antenna. And we didn't have that. So I remember when I really wanted to watch He-Man and they would air, <laughs> TV3 at the time when it started, it would start uh, airing at 5pm, okay. right? And it would start with He-Man, Masters of the Universe, wow. right? And I would hold <laughs> in my room with this small TV set with the, the antenna on my hand and watch a very snowy program about He-Man and that was that, right? <laughs> but you can get Singapore television. Yes, I can get Singapore television. <laughs> Singapore television didn't have He-Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a break first. Uh, you're listening to Night School with me, Hanif Baharudin and Simon Soon and this week we're joined by Luke Man Lee from University of Malaya and we're talking about Scenario, the sitcom and how it shapes the psyche of 
the community, uh, especially the Malay community, right? Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned into Night School with me, Hanif Baruddin. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest of the week, Lukman Lee from University Malaya. And we've been talking about a scenario and how it shapes the psyche of the Malay community, right? Mm. So we left off with an image of you holding onto your antenna. Good old He-Man. Trying to get He-Man on your screen. <laughs> and He-Man is like, uh, I guess, an archetypal sort of like figure that represents a hero, right? On yeah, some level. Yeah. Is your thesis in some way sort of like no. trying to explore? No, no, no. I mean, I was a kid then. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He-Man was just something cool, you know, a mm-hmm. cartoon that was cool. I mean, I consumed a lot of um, American cartoons, G.I. Mm. Joe, Mask, Centurions, He-Man. I mean, okay, right. I even watched She-Ra. Right, right. And if you go further back, uh, it was what, Gem and Holograms. I remember having to wake up at 6 a.m. because yeah. RTM would have it. So that's Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, right? that's right, man. Okay. I would sit like from 6 a.m. all the way up to 1. Right, right. It so was, you're almost suggesting that in, in TV itself, there's almost a ritual. Or there's almost a culture that has built around or emerged around television, right? Yeah, broadcasters level. try from that. Right, right. Right, right. Uh, and what, what is this specific culture that I guess you can understand through scenario? Wow, okay. Um, this, I mean, there's many different facets to it. Mm. Uh, I think as a genre, sitcoms are supposed to be very easily consumed. Okay. Um, I mean, but they're also very highly political mm. because it's actually you're laughing at someone rather okay. than with someone. Right. But even if you laugh with someone itself, it's highly arguable mm-hmm. um, about how that should be done on you know mm. um, but I think watching sitcoms in general as a culture it's something that has to be I mean broadcasters basically have a whole template of how the programming should be done okay. um, regular prime time um, they market it as for example uh, comedy Tuesdays okay. so you you sit down with the expectation of watching a whole night full of comedies mm. and, and people look forward to that because you know you've had a long day at work and then you sit down and you watch that yeah. But it's also meant to be unassuming in the sense that, and and that is by and large how television differs from film, is where it actually plans for the viewers to actually walk away at some point and to come back and sit down. So you are allowed to miss certain portions of the program and still make sense of it, right? Right, right, right. Um, And and I suppose uh, in that sense, scenario fits in very easily mm-hmm. because um, the jokes are so simple and you could basically pick off where you stopped the last time and you could walk to okay. to the bathroom for two minutes and come back and still be all right. Right, right. Um, and you mentioned that each episode is actually a new episode that doesn't really kind of connect that's right. with other right. stories that came before, except the 13 episodes. Lah. Yeah, but thematically, they recur things like, for example, uh, mm. something that happens in the kampong mm-hmm. or something that happens in, in uh, the museum or they talk about a specific kind of archetype whether that archetype is a racial archetype or whether it is a class archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have those kind of themes recurring. Okay. Um, and because those themes recur, you would have certain locations that recur as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do they decide on which themes should recur? Is it based on, I don't know, is there popularity sort of? How do you sort of like do a popularity poll mm-hmm. uh, back then? I, I, I don't think they do a popularity right. poll. I think one of the... Within the context of your question, I think yeah. one of the ways probably that I've uncovered is that, especially after 2000, uh-huh. is the kind of themes that they feature broadly parallels with sociopolitical developments mm-hmm. in real life. Okay. Um, so if, if anything, I think 
what happens in real life actually dictates uh, the kind of themes that get on air. Mm. Um, maybe maybe it's just a simple thing of uh, it's top of the mind for the producers who are actually living in that reality. Okay. Um, I mean, we read the newspapers every day. They are in uh, a broadcasting station uh, with, that has so many news channels. Yeah. Um, so maybe they are influenced by that. I don't know. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, given that you're covering a, a comedy sketch that lasted for how many years was it? <laughs> Uh, about 16, 16, 16 years, years in total. That's a lot of material to sort of sift through, right? Yeah. How do you sort of like organize your... How do you... Did you go through every single episode? Uh, no. And, <laughs> and were you selective of sort of like, I guess, some of the more popular themes or issues that were sort of raised over the course of its 16 years of, you know, running on, on air? Or how do you sort of like decide... Uh, how do you sift through this? How do you filter down to, you know, an, a crux, an argument? Okay, first, first off, I yeah. think I think Media Prima, the people at Media Prima, were extremely helpful in that sense. Right. Without their help, I think I wouldn't have been able to even um, decide on which okay. episode to focus on. We're talking about about six hundred and thirty over episodes, right. and that's yeah. only the episodes that are on file. Okay, right. So then um, I find on YouTube that you have short little. I think five minutes or ten minute um, uh, sketches. Okay. that is done in connection with. I can't remember which coffee brand was that. Okay. Yeah. So you have a lot more things going on, right? Ah. Um, so what I did was I asked Media Prima, the archive department, uh, if I could have the metadata for as many episodes as they, they could find, right? Okay. And, and then from there, I then shortlisted it based on the kind of themes that I was interested in, mm. right? So I looked at, okay, in today's society or across the past 10, 20 years, what were the main themes that were significantly shaping how Malays or the Malay community conceptualized themselves? Mm. Uh, what was their imagined state of Malayhood, if you like, or mm. personhood, right? And then from there, I look at, I, I, I basically extracted those themes okay. and I look for it in the metadata. Okay. Now, now it's, what kind of metadata do you have to sort of like deal with? If you can sort of like, you know. Um, okay, this, this is what I was going to get into. Yeah. The difficult bit or where it gets really messy was because a lot of uh, the episodes of Scenario, mm-hmm. they were done in the era of analog era. Right. Right. So when everybody, everything moved to a digital era, mm-hmm. uh, they had to digitize every single episode. Mm. And so it was really up to the person at the time who was digitizing to see how meticulous the person was in keying in all that metadata, right? So I would come across certain episodes that was really elaborate in, in you know, they, they had a proper synopsis. Uh, there were keywords, okay. like what it was roughly about mm-hmm. and things and length and a producer and director and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And then there were some that just had um, one keyword, title, director and that's it, okay. right? right. Um, so there were varying levels of, of, of information that was in the metadata. Okay, in okay, okay. Right. Uh, and, okay, what do you do with it then after that? Uh, oh, then I had to, yeah. I had to basically um, determine a percentage of yeah. acceptable sample size that would give me a certain uh, degree of accuracy, uh-huh. about 95% right. accuracy. Uh-huh. And I basically then watched about 10% out of the 630 over episodes. So, okay. Yeah, so okay. about 62 episodes. Okay, mm. and th- this gives you an, at least an overview of you know what are some of the yeah, and I made sure to pick are... episodes from um, across the whole timeline, so right, it wasn't right, just right. like a specific era. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what did you discover? What did I discover? Mm. Well, uh, what I discovered was basically that scenario didn't shape 
the Malay mindset. Okay. But rather, I think it was that it was reaffirming uh, the realities that were on the ground. Uh, the ideas that were already floating about in um, in reality, basically, mm-hmm. or in, in a lived experience. So it's that, that, that triggering that mnemonic connection mm. uh, because... Uh, and, and, and this goes back to your question of why it was so... It had such broad appeal to many different segments, especially the working mm. class, right? It was because it was able to mnemonically trigger certain ideas about themselves and the world around them through the sitcom itself. Mm. Did they use nostalgia for that? Or, yeah, did they, or were they very, very on the pulse? No, no, no. I think a lot of people would agree that a huge portion of Malay culture how the Malay community think of their identity is very rooted in nostalgia, is rooted in who we were before our golden era, the Malacca Sultanate, you know, whether it's Malacca Sultanate or whether it was a pre-Medeca era, right? They will always be referring back to the past mm. and, and, you know, who came first and, and all of that. So it's... It is very hard, I think, for us to find a discourse about Malay identity or Malayness um, that isn't that does not make make a reference to the historical past of the community, of the culture, of the religion, and of course they don't go for as far as to say Sri Vijaya because that doesn't serve as their purpose. But mm. yeah, so in that sense, I think yeah, nostalgia plays a really big part in it, which is why you still have there were a lot of episodes in scenario about Hang Tua, Hang Chibat, oh. about the Malacca Sultanate. So it's a very feudal uh, yeah. scene, if you like. Um, but I recall watching like one of the museum episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, uh, you know, the Pachi guard, uh, the Abang guard was actually sort of like unveiling some of the uh, photographs of these sort of like historical figures. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't want to sort of like, you know, have them exposed because of the dust that's being sort of like, that, that would have collected on the surface of the right. portraits. Uh, but, you know, as he was like, sort of like doing his unveiling, then you also have depictions of all these sort of like, you know, supposedly heroic figures right. in very uh, comical sort of like pose, yep. in, in some ways making fun of, you know, our need to even sort of like heroicize, uh, yep. uh, uh, you know, and play up, you know, these personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in some ways, that's also a critique, right? Or it's at least a parody of, 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 of an obsession, of, of a particular cultural sort of like obsession with heroes. I mean, I think, I think if you just take that slice of right. the whole episode mm-hmm. and then you, I, I suppose that could qualify as a satire or a, you know right. paradising the whole um, but if you look at the whole episode mm-hmm. and thematically what they talk about the mm-hmm. content of the um, I, I think it's not exactly what you've suggested okay. um, and, and I think is it because of the kind of like moralizing tone that you know yeah. normally it will end with a kind of like a bit of a nasihat yeah. sort of like I think I think scenario goes through different Phases. Okay. So you have a phase. I think the first maybe three years. Okay. Um, where at the end of it, you would have someone telling you the, what you know the moral of this, or what the lesson here is for mm. this episode, and then you see that again somewhere towards the end, the last three years maybe or two years. Okay. Somewhere in the middle, you don't really see that, mm. but the didactism that you refer to is actually in the dialogue itself. Okay. Um. So you would have um the character saying something in dialogue that actually is quite preachy, if you'd like. Okay. And, and yeah, and it aims to basically educate or to inform the audience about some a particular topic or issue. Mm-hmm. 
and that's when it gets problematic because it's a it's a simplification of a very complex timeline, historical timeline, for example, or or, or a glossing over of so many details, and then saying conclusively that this is that and this is you know. Okay, so do you consider this propaganda as propaganda? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to make me say it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say it's soft power. Okay. I, mean, I mean, television itself is acknowledged by television mm. scholars worldwide that it's, television is soft power. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, so we commonly sort of think of television as entertainment. Uh, we do not always think of the ideological sort of like yeah, sort of component. Yeah, television is not just entertainment. Okay. Uh, what you find funny itself is shaped by culture, by your society, by politics. Uh, what gets on the air uh, is even approved by any sort of government ministry. And there is no television station in the world that is not heavily policed by the, the government. State, right. right? Um, so everything you see on the air has government approval. Mm. Um, of course, to varying degrees. Right. Um, I mean, if you look at the BBC, they get their funding from the government anyway, mm. right? So uh, things have changed since, right? I mean, uh, it, scenario is interesting in the sense that in '96, when it first started, there was also a parallel sort of like, uh, well, the beginnings of like a digital culture uh, then started to sort of like emerge. And that would, in the course of time, change television culture completely or at least how we sort of like access these sort of entertainment or these kinds of like uh, shows, right? Yep. Uh, uh, was Scenario at all sort of like aware or prescient of the fact that there is this new sort of like space that's opening up? Uh, not uh, that I could observe. Yeah. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a part of the, any of the themes that I've you know, mm -hmm. um, looked at. I think most of the themes in Scenario that was played out was really quite... Um, would parallel socio-political developments in the country. And mm. I think in the 90s, even though the internet came about then, um, the speeds weren't fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, as you can see from that general election, I can't remember which was it, where the BN government then realised that, oh, wow, social media could actually uh, swing the votes. Oh, 2008? 2008, yeah. yeah. And that was only, it was only then that you actually invested so much into um, social media. Right, right. So right. you could see that there was that blind spot that mm. they didn't identify that as being something big. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. And of course, right. we know now from, from what's happening with television, with the change, the significant change that's happening at Media Prima, mm -hmm. you can see now that, you know, uh, it's really affecting television, terrestrial television. The scenario uh, play its strength more to its ethnic identity or its class identity. And I'm asking that only because I remember... <clears throat> my circle of friends who are not necessarily just made up of one race slightly enjoying scenario as well but then again maybe we were kids at that time so I think kids are mm. quite impressionable so they just watch you know things that their friends watch right but yeah. I remember them watching it and thinking that it's kind of decent I guess quality wise yeah. again we were kids and, and, and my circle of friends are a bit of like a mixed race as well so so does the class factor then come into it as well does scenario place, place its strength on on more of the ethnic identity or the class identity? Because there are 630 over episodes mm. and because the episodes are supposed to be standalone more or less, okay. uh, there's just so many different themes that we talk about yeah, that, that they are actually mm. uh, performing, basically. But I think if I'm basically, if, if I really have to give an answer to that, then I would say that what Scenario proposes, just like the popular perception is that class is linked to ethnicity mm -hmm. 
And so I can't really say whether it, it performs class or it performs race or ethnicity because it's it's tied together in that sense, right. uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 But, but so in that sense, like, you know, but as a sort of like image, right, that it's trying to shape a particular image, but that image sort of round counters to any qualities that Mahathir's sort of like idea of or even as it's sort of like Bangsa Malaysia or even as uh, this corporate Malayu Baru sort of like image he was trying to cultivate. That was sort of like, you know, being traded at that point, right? As the idea of like success story, the Malaysian success story. So uh, the fact that all these uh, other uh, more gutsy, down-to-earth, uh, more folksy sort of like figures emerge at that point in time, what do you think they're... Uh, what, 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 what sort of thing are they saying? I think it's first off. I right. think I think it's a fantasy, right? Uh, in the Lacanian sense, that the PM was at the time right. was promoting a, a non-ethnically specific kind of direction for the country. Okay, you're talking about Bangsa Malaysia. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. I think I think um, it has already been documented that mm-hmm. why Bang the the whole 80s 90s industrial industrial period in Malaysia actually worked was because um, everyone identified with this kind of uh, economic nationalism, mm. and and everybody was striving, everybody was making money, yeah. and because of that, it was it transcended racial lines. Yeah. But even then, I mean, and this is well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some people who were making more money than others because they were the preferred contract receivers, right? Mm-hmm. But with the Asian economic downturn, mm-hmm. um, you could then see a very sharp return to this whole ethnic-specific discourse. Mm-hmm. And so it never really left us in that sense. Okay. Um, yeah. So so I, I don't think that um, scenario is out of place Plus, I think scenario came about in ninety six, right? And the economic crisis occurred around ninety seven uh, to ninety nine. Yep. So, I guess where my question or my observation comes from is perhaps not so much the race issue, but more of the class sort of like issue, right? In scenario, for example, you always have that bumbly sort of like country bumpkin, and whose you know body is contorted in some manner, and he's always like you know some kind of like a fool. He plays the fool, right? right. Uh, he's not that you know, either a dashing sort of like corporate businessman rolling, rolling down, uh, you know, uh, the street in his Mercedes Benz or, 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 or uh, you know, a professional or, so, or someone with, um, you know, some kind of like cultural cachet that represents, you know, the modernity, Malaysian modernity. He, you have this, the, the, the kampung is almost as if it's like, uh, the kampung or the kampung folk is almost as seen as that sort of back backward class. Uh, someone who doesn't quite sort of like fit into this larger success story that uh, we were trying to tell then. So how, uh, you know, the fact that it gets played on television, what what is it doing to, you know, our national sort of like discourse? Is it intervening into it or is it, uh, is I, I, it reinforcing certain sort of like, you know, tropes? Actually, in in scenario, yeah, the character typecasts right. that you've mentioned they're not that clear cut, right. so you don't have the bumbling fool, okay, or the hunchback, or you know whatever. Uh, everyone takes a turn making jokes and being the fool, right, right, for example. right, exactly. And and the quite the opposite of what you've described about mm-hmm. the symbolisms of kampung 
on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, in scenario, the kampong is actually revered as a, a place. If you do a, a, a analysis of the meta text, mm-hmm. the the kampong is actually revered as a sim- symbol of like uh, authentic Malay, ah, okay. authentic Malay, right. authentic values, mm-hmm. uh, which is also suited to uh, this whole Islamic authenticity right, and right, piousness. Right. Right. And you would see a lot of episodes where they would refer to their children who are in the city mm. and leading a very, what can only be described as a deviant lifestyle, okay. culturally as well as religiously. Mm-hmm. And that the return to the kampung, whether it is to come back home and to ask for forgiveness or whatever it is. That but office resolution. Yes, that's the recourse for a recovery of mm. uh, uh, the Malay condition. Okay, okay, okay. There's a famous book by Lat called Matsum that, you know, that deals that deals with this whole, uh, I guess, anxiety of somebody moving from you know Kampong, Kampong to, to a right. town, and, and 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 I guess at that point in time, it sort of like embodies the 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 spirit of, I think the late nineties, right, where people are moving, leaving their kampongs to mm-hmm. to to go to town and you know make a living out of it. Yep. Did scenario ever play into this theme at all? Wow. Um, well, if I remember correctly, Mark Solm was uh, published in 1989. Uh, oh. So it's a good decade um, that has sort of like, you know, uh, uh, that have passed mm. uh, before scenarios sort of like came into the scene, right? And, you know, if anything, I think it sort of like reinforces the intensification of urbanization. Yeah. 90s was really the period where Malaysia urbanized. Like we, we, we reach an urban majority sort of like population. So in, in that sense, then, uh, you know, these are sort of like bookends mm-hmm. of a period of intense sort of like mobility. Uh, I think in scenario, yeah, a lot of allusion to those themes were made from a female perspective. Okay. So they were referring actually to the free trade zones and the factory girls that moved out of the kampongs to go into the city for the first time. The whole Minakaran and the Abang Spana, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. The, the Abang Spana being the, the men who went to the city to, to look for work. And um, of course, Minakaran, the electronic lady, were the, one, <laughs> the, the, the women that, or the girls actually, because uh. uh, they were as young as, I think, 17 years old. Okay. Uh, who left home for the first time to live in the city and worked in a free trade zone. So there were a lot of, I think, there's a lot of literature and studies about that whole entire period focusing on Minakaran and Abang Spana. Mm-hmm. And I would say a lot of it is negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they paint or they, they construct a very negative image of the people uh, who, who actually move into the city. Right. And I think in large part, that also reinforces the idea that the city is a locus for uh, of decadence, mm. a locus of decadence. And especially with the free trade zones, there were a lot of expats that came in, foreigners, right? Right, right. And and again, that was, then then you had the whole discourse about East versus West, values, mm. you know. The purities uh, diluted. Or, yeah, right. the, the whole uh, communitarian focused versus individualistic, right. which is the Western value kind of, you know, mm-hmm. and and so and then in the the that would go against goes against the whole Asian. Hence, why you have the uh, whole idea about the Asians values discourse. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
from Singapore. You mean the Asian band? Oh, Mahathir. So Mahathir. Like, right, I mean, Luke but Lee Kuan Yew also at the time. Yeah, right. Lee Kuan Yew also echoed it. So it wasn't right. just Mahathir. Right, right, right. I think we're sort of like running out of time. Uh, maybe as a sort of like you know concluding thought, can you sort of like you know share with us what you think? Why you think sort of like scenarios such a uh, culturally sort of like significant uh, TV series? Scenario, even though it's really simple, mm-hmm. the jokes are really simple. But in its simplicity, it's actually very complex at the metatextual level. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, the discussion here today doesn't even capture like the, the complexity of it. Because what it is, is actually it's replaying or it's performing or it's re-articulating and reconstituting reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Malay reality that um, a segment of the Malay community identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying all the entirety of Malay community identifies with it. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, there is a large segment of Malay community that actually identifies with it, which is why it was popular for such a long time. I mean, in 1990, it was institutional. They had films, they were road shows, um, they were performing, they had music videos, they had albums out. And that's all on top of the, the television sitcom that's on TV. Right, right. So it was a household name. That's how right, popular right. it was, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's, it, it's a very complex um, program. And the popularity extends to Borneo. Yes, that's correct. Okay, uh, I think they even had uh, roaches in Singapore. I think. Okay. Thank you so much. Lugman. Thanks for having yeah. me here. All right. So yeah, you just heard from um, our guest Lukman Lee uh, from University of Malaya, and he's been talking about scenario, the local sitcom, and how it shapes the Malay identity. Share thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio, or you can send us an email to nightschool at bfm.my. You can also follow us on Facebook. Look for BFM Night School there. Don't forget to also download the BFM app, which you can get on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Thanks once again, um, Lukman Lee, and also Simon Soon. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you've been listening to Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.